Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive reader from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, June the 6th, 2017, and we are reading from the Big Book on page 51, the first paragraph, This World of Ours Has Made. Today's readers are Lisa W., sorry, Leslie W., Lisa H., and Martha Z. The reference numbers for Monday, June the 5th, 2017, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is 10010, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10011. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Craig F. to read the 12 steps. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can you hear me? We can. Thank you. Here, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, we humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, we made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And ten, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Craig F. And we'll now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. 
personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating. Four, each group eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing on what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everybody's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 51, the first paragraph, this world of ours has made through two paragraphs ending with airplane travel was in full swing. And we will be commenting on both paragraphs. I will now ask Leslie W. to begin reading. Thank you, moderator. This is Leslie W., a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all of the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. 
Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. We asked ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before, did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said that God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of air was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. Again, this is Leslie W., recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. And uh, <clears throat> just want to say that if you're expecting me to pontificate this morning and come up with some kind of scientific, scientific intellectual uh uh, share, then you might want to adjust your expectations. Um, but what I wanted to say about this is that the talk about how we, how when we have fixed ideas about things, um, yeah, you know, when we have fixed ideas about things, we cannot move forward. We cannot change. We stay the same. And if we're in pain, we, we stay in pain until we are able to admit that maybe we don't have all the answers or at least allow ourselves to hear another person's perspective. We must be open-minded in order to allow the spirit to come in and change us and to, to alter us. You see, in order, in order to become recovered for me, I, I first had to believe that it was possible for me to recover. And I've been in a room for six years, but I'd never once heard in a face-to-face meeting somebody qualify as a recovered compulsive overeater. But when I heard that on this line, it gave me hope. It it planted that, that seed in me to actually believe that I myself can become recovered. Because I, I have to first believe it's possible for for me to recover. If I don't believe that I can recover, I won't have the stamina or the desire to do the work which is required to obtain that. And if I don't have that, um I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lollygag around. And lollygag is, you know, for you New Jersey people that's that's a southern slang. But, you know, I mean, it's just I'm just going to lollygag around until I'm going to just drag out my misery. Uh, I'm just going to keep relapsing. And for me, you know, I have to believe, you know. Um, and the Wright brothers, I'm sure, were probably told that human flight could not be done. It's not possible. You can't do it. And I'm sure they were told no. But I'm sure that 
they believed, and I didn't. I don't know them personally, but I'm sure that they believed in what they were doing. I'm sure that they had hope. I'm sure that, that they had some amount of faith in order to do the work that they needed to do. And hope is the seed of faith. You know, faith is the assurance of things to hope for, a conviction of things not seen. And, and a conviction is, 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 is a firmly held belief or opinion. And it's my firmly held belief that God did not intend for me to live the life that I was living in the food. It was my firmly held belief that there must be a better way. There must be a way out. Thank you, moderator. I had hope. And if the Wright brothers can build an airplane, you know, when they had no one to show them the way, then I can certain I can certainly glean from the evidence around me and take note of those who have gone before me and grab hold of that to use that to bridge the gap between fear and faith. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie W. We'll now open the line for sharing. Uh, please say your name once, and then I will read out who I have. Okay? So who would like to share on what was read this morning? Matt M. Larry. Larry K. Renata. Matt M. Matt, I got you. Thanks. Nessa R. Was that Nessa? Yes. Thanks, Nessa R. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. I have Matt M. Lily K. I've got Matt M. Larry K. Renata. Nessa R. There was someone else. Billy J. Jan S. Okay, I'm sorry. I got the last name of somebody, J, but I missed the first name. Lily. Julie. Okay, great. So our lineup right now, let's go with this. We have Matt M., Larry K., Renata, Nessa R., Julie J., and Jan S. Matt, would you like to start for us, please? It's Millie J. Millie. Thank you, Millie. I got that. Thank you very much. Hi. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Madam from Hustle from Jersey. These two paragraphs talk about how um, has human intervention, human intervention, and how humans um, excel themselves over the years with uh, modern progress and inquiry. And it's this was this is the second argument in the big book in this chapter why it says that we should have faith. You know, that nothing valuable in the human world occurs without risk. Risk is part of life, and for us to achieve things, we have to take a risk. So for us, we have to take the risk of believing a higher power, no matter how much we've been hurt, no matter how much we've um, thought uh, bristle with the word God. If we don't take the risk and even believe that we want to believe in a higher power of our understanding, then we're doomed because then this is the process of these steps. We have to take it one thing at a time, but we also have to take some valued things on faith, and that's taking a risk. I know for myself, I didn't want to take that risk it's, at first. Every time I heard the word God, I want to slam the book shut or toss it in a drawer or toss it into a wood chipper because I was I would bristle with those with the, with the word God and other religious um, words in the book. And I'm grateful that today I decide not to do that because it's a choice. So I can decide to be stuck stuck to where I am, or I can decide to move decide to move forward. And I'm grateful that I'm making the making the choice to move forward because 
I want to get recovered, and that's the reason why I'm on the line. That's the reason why I do the work, and that's the reason why I, I'm here every day. And I'm grateful that the meeting is here. I'm grateful that the program is here. It's been saving my life every day. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Madam. Larry Kay, you're up. Okay, thanks so much. Can you hear me okay? I can, thanks. Okay, great. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. The, um, you know, what's interesting to me is, is the fact that when we, when we come, nobody gets here to this program on a winning streak. We all get here on a losing streak on, in some way, shape, or form, and I know that I did. And the hope is that when we complete this process, that we change, that we experience a, a spiritual awakening, a change, a personality a shift, which is a change, sufficient to arrest this disease, to change us. And all it is is a hope. It's conceptual. We, we come here, we stay based on that hope. And when I heard that you could have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, I was skeptical because nothing in my experience in my entire adult life suggested that there, that this obsession could be lifted. All I experienced was temporary types of abstinence. I was always waiting for the shoe to drop. You know, if you're on the line this morning and you, you're new to program or you've been, you know, been around program a long time and you've never experienced that, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. There are people that are on this line today, it's a climatic challenge, brought into alignment with the higher power of their own understanding that do not ever seriousness and they do it happily because they've had a spiritual transformation, one that we don't effectuate. We don't bring that about. We just pick up our axe and chop our wood every day. We navigate through these steps. We're guided through these steps. And eventually... In my case, it happened, the spiritual awakening happened. It was more of the educational variety. It happened over time. But it did happen. It's not fantasy. I wasn't sprinkled with pixie dust. No one waved a magic wand. I didn't, you know, wait till the miracle happens because faith without works is dead. But, but I had to have the hope. And today I'm recovered by the grace of God because I worked through a process, and that obsession was lifted. It was eradicated. And as long as I stay in that spiritual condition, I get to stay in that recovered state for one more day. I don't worry. I have no fear, no fear that it will be taken away or that I need to earn it, work harder. I just stay on this pathway. Very grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Renata G., it's your turn. Press star 1 to unmute, Renata. Renata, we don't hear you. Okay, Nessa R., would you like to take this spot and we'll see if Renata shows up? 
Um, sure. Good morning, Len. It's good to hear you on the line. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So um, when I read this, this paragraph, I think about what did the Wright brothers have? What did Columbus have that all the other people of their generation didn't have? And that is the willingness to step aside step out of the conventional wisdom of the time, you know, to let go of ideas that were not working, to acquire new ideas that did. And this is a, a theme that is repeated throughout, you know, the first few chapters of, of the big book. You know, in, in page 27, we are asked to um, cast to one side um, the uh, guiding forces of our lives. Um, we are asked... Um, repeatedly to the agnostics to lay aside prejudice um, in the you know very well known reading uh, on page 58 of of how it works you know we are told that um, we had to let go of our old ideas because you know the result would be nil unless we let go absolutely and this is what we have to do you know we have to say okay what hasn't been working for me? You know, the way I've been doing things hasn't been working for me. You know, the way uh, my, my beliefs about God, about food, about weight, about life in general have not been working for me. I need to acquire um, beliefs that, that will work for me, that will help me beat this thing. You know, and it starts here. It starts here with the belief in a new solution because, you know, let's face it, I have tried everything humanly possible and nothing, nothing has worked. So, you know, I got to abandon the conventional wisdom um, regarding, you know, how I solve my own problems or how, you know, there's a God in the heavens, but the earth is for man or, um, you know, that, you know, in some cases that God is, you know, God forbid, a punishing God or whatever uh, misconceptions have been uh, standing in my way of recovery. And this is what Columbus did. This is what the Wright brothers did. And this is what I have to do if I want to recover all those old ideas that have not um, done anything for me except you know, keep me in the disease, I got to be willing to let go of them. And, you know, if anything, you know, I just got to trust the people who have gone before me because they are a living example of the ideas that do work and trust the process until I am able to acquire new ideas that do work. But, you know, it starts with that willingness, that willingness to say, okay, maybe, maybe I've been wrong all along. Let's try it a different way. Um, and amazing things would happen when uh, when we do that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Millie J., it's your turn. Can I have a turn, Lynn? I'm back, Renata. Sure. Renata, would you like this to This is Millie. Okay. Sorry. This is Millie J. Okay, Millie, we've got Renata back on the phone now, so let her go first and we'll bring you back in, okay? Okay. Thank you. Okay, Renata, would you like to go ahead, please? Yes, thank you, and sorry about that. I was double-muted before. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., recovered compulsive reader in Israel. Um, 
You know, I want to focus on men's minds were feathered um, because this is what uh, the disease does to me. It keeps my mind feathered in old ideas, which I believe is the ex- the exact opposite of step two, you know, that requires me to have an open mind and be open to new ideas because the old ideas I had were not working. Um, you know, on page 42, the book says that The program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window. That was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. And for me, my lifelong conceptions, my old ideas were that, you know, I I was powerful. I was not powerless. I could do the job. I was going to beat the game. I was going to defeat the disease. And that never worked. And so, you know, my experience was that I had to be out of ideas to become willing to believe that a power greater than myself could do the job, to trust that, you know, maybe if I cooperate, maybe if I did the work that was being presented to me, things would change that I could be recovered, that I could be relieved from the mental obsession. Um, But it all started with having an open mind. As long as I was trying to hold up the old, nothing changed. Uh, I kept getting the same results over and over and over. But like the book says, when I made up my mind to go through with the process, being just open, see what it would take me, it worked. With that, I passed. Thanks. Thank you, Renata G. And Millie J., it's your turn. Hello, this is Millie J. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Thanks. Yeah, Millie, we can't hear you. There's a lot of static. Can you hear now this much better thank you okay okay this is Melly J from Puerto Rico recover compulsive and put at it and uh, it is the first time that I share so bear with me and I'm a little bit nervous anyway um when I read on page um 51 and I want to read it says this um this world of our has made more material progress in the last century than I, than in all the millenniums which went before. So um, this is what I, re, you know, what I recall, what I see it in my mind. It's um, changes. First of all, changes in me. Um, work, work as many times I need to. Um, focus. Focus no matter what is going on in my life. I I won't stop um, trying over and over. I also see open mind to receive and to um, to progress, to receive from others and to make sure that I progress in what I, you know, I receive the knowledge that I receive from other people. And um, in progress also, um, this will be the result of being sober, you know, of being abstinent and in sobriety. 
And I will also like to comment on, you know, following the sentence that I also see that when it says the, this world of ours, for me this means ownership, not only in my life, but a global ownership and also in my personal life. And also when it says has made more uh, material progress, uh, for me this also means work, actions, and our responsibility to work the progress and not only to keep it with us when we are in recovery and sobriety, but to pass it on and help others. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Millie J. And Jan S., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Jan S. from St. Augustine, Florida. Thank you for all your shares. They've been wonderful. Um, my thinking about this topic and the Wright brothers is that um, it brings me back to a place in the big book where it talks about contempt prior to investigation and old ideas and attitudes and a lot of the choices and decisions and the things that I have been obsessively led by in my life when it comes to addiction were uh, led by old ideas and attitudes and contempt prior to investigation. All of that came from my thinking. Um, but I understand when it comes to recovery from this cunning, baffling, and powerful addiction, I had to concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive overeater and for myself of the very chronic type. My innermost self is not located in my head. <laughs> my innermost self is located in my heart. And until I did not get it in my heart, of all hearts, that there is no way I can pick up any, any of my binge foods um, and eat them with impunity, I, I was not going to stay abstinent. I was not going to stay abstinent in this program. And I did that on and off for 30 years. So um, it is for me, it's, you know, coming from a very negative background, you know, doubting and judging has always been a part of, of uh, my thinking process. But what I've learned in this program is that my best thinking got me where I was. And so, you know, that was not going to make any profound um, change, any psychic change in my life, my thinking. So I've uh, given up the thinking committee when it comes to um, so much of my life now. I mean, you know, just I, the only thing I'm thinking about is, you know, how I can continue to work my program and, you know, take care of what I need to do to take care of, you know, my actions today and how I can stay in the right place in conscious contact with my higher power. So one day at a time, I keep coming back. Thank you so much for allowing me to share on pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to comment on what was read today? Rachel W. Sarah G. Craig F. Talon D. Nancy H. Dina T. 
Okay. I have Rachel W., Sarah G., Craig F., somebody B. I missed somebody B., Nancy H., and Dana T. Callan D. You know, this is awful. I'm sorry. I'm still not getting your first name. <laughs> I'll spell it. It's T-A-L-Y-N. Last initial T-A-L-Y-N. Yes. Okay, and Talon D. Okay, I have Rachel W. to start us off, followed by Sarah G. Hi. Thank you. This is Rachel W. Thank you for your service. You're doing a great job. Um, and thanks to everyone on the line. And um, my name is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Overeater, calling from New York. Um, you know, it's interesting. These paragraphs are are really, you know, definitely reminding me that I need to think beyond the scope of what what I believe, you know, that there possibly could be more to life in general. And I'm thinking, you know, in terms of, of progress in humanity, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, well, the pyramids were kind of impressive. You know, there were some uh, really impressive kind of technological things that went on in, in history. But, you know, one thing that never changed is, you know, in my in my in my experience, it's the same God, you know, same higher power that's been here the entire time. And what's happened, in, you know, the way in my little view is, is it seems that, you know, throughout, throughout time, you know, throughout history, one thing that's never changed is, is the struggle to believe, you know, to get beyond this belief. And, and, and also, you know, how to believe when, when things happen, you know, when calamities happen, plagues, wars, um, what do you do, you know, and, and can I even blame anyone that would lose faith in light of, of those things? So, you know, I, I'm seeing, you know, more of a, of a common thread, you know, throughout, throughout history that, yeah, we've had advances um, in the past, yet, you know, we still struggle with the same thing. And I've heard a quote on the line about, um, you know, King Solomon, the wisest of people, you know, what did he say and that he couldn't even figure out this disease? Well, I don't believe that's true for me. He did, um, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, his wisdom that turned us back, turned me back and reminded me that, that, you know, one of the things he says is just to know, know God and, and just to, to believe, you know, to believe and to keep turning even, even in a way that's, that rem- I can remain in awe of him. And, um, and what does that mean? You know, for me, it's, it's just, it, it is thinking beyond. It's what do I do when things don't get my, go my way? You know, as an addict, that's my, main, that's my main issue in life is acceptance. Who do I become when I don't get my way? In the past, I became uh, crazy. I became, uh, you know, indulging in food. I became 265 pounds. That was my solution when I didn't get my way. Um, I know I was talking to someone recently about about um, their program and and I realized that in my in my days of relapse I would wake up in the morning and invite God into my day and say higher power you know help me help me get my absence back and then um and then by four o'clock or so I I believe you know God was saying fine I'm here I'm challenging you you know what are you going to do now and um and my decision was to eat and I was like well I'm out of there you know um and it's thank you so much and it's only when I lean into this process that I can really um, make the decision to change. So thank you so for allowing me to share my past. Thank you very much, Rachel W. 
And Sarah G., it's your turn. My name is Sarah G., compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, and recovered just for today. Um, I want to thank everybody on the line and uh, moderator. Thank you so much. Uh, you, you're doing a great job. Um, I I was thinking how very astute Bill W. was in writing the way he's written, because many uh, agnostics and atheists are uh, scientists. They believe in their scientific um, process, and um, and and if he had come at it from a a religious point of view, trying to uh, you know pound religion into agnostics and atheists, I don't think it would have worked. But this, giving these examples of, of um, Copernicus and Columbia, uh, Columbus and Galileo and um, uh, the Wright brothers, etc., these people were people that went out on a limb, and they, uh, during, their, during their lifetime, they bucked up against the, the prevailing thoughts of the time and, um, and proved, proved that the prevailing thoughts of the time were not even accurate. And so I think, you know, and I also am a proponent of the, uh, the um, uh, principle against, uh, which is a bar against all information, which is uh, contempt prior to investigation. That has really uh, made an impact on me each time I read it or think about it. I think how closed-minded I was for many, many years, uh, believing that um, I, I was the creator of my universe and I could cure this and I could make uh, recovery happen. And what I know today is that that is not the case. And he's making the case um, just like that. He's saying... Bill W. is saying, okay, so here are these guys that, uh, and, and women too, I'm sure they're uh, women, Madame Curie and, and others, who have done things that, that didn't uh, go along with the, the um, regular thinking of the time. And look what they proved. They proved that the regular thinking of the time wasn't, wasn't so great, wasn't so accurate, and I can go along and figure out that my thinking was not so great and not so accurate um, because I uh, have learned uh, over many years that um, I, I need a higher power. I need something greater than me to help me with this disease. And today I'm so grateful to have that and to have all of you, and I appreciate your time. Thanks. And I and pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah G. Craig F., it's your turn. This is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can I be heard? You can. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, thank you for your service, too. This, um, these paragraphs, to me, are, of course, are, they're, he's talking about um, the being able to change our thinking, being able to reexamine our uh, long-held beliefs and uh, and come up with a new, uh, uh, with acceptance of a new approach. And uh, I, my very first sponsor I had in AA um, 
said to me one time that just because something is one way yesterday and the day before and every other day leading up to today doesn't mean it has to be that way today or tomorrow or every other day from now forward. Change is possible. And that was kind of a shock to me because I I thought, quite frankly, that I would be in this epic battle, this epic struggle with with food and weight the rest of my life, that that it was that I might find tools that would help me win the battle, uh, you know, the short-term battles here and there, but I really didn't believe that it would ever get a whole lot better. And, you know, I uh, it, it kind of hits me. It hit me hard to think that uh, that that there was change was possible that changing in the change of me uh, was possible and i and i heard the part about a uh where roland hazard goes to see dr young and he talks about a a uh, an upheaval a sufficient to uh, uh i can't remember the exact words but a psychic change is sufficient to bring about a new attitude and i and and that, and that sounds inviting and it sounds wonderful but I wasn't sure I believed that was possible for me. T- today I know that is possible for me. Today I've experienced that, and uh, you know. And, th- and then the other part of that change thing is um, that to understand that, in spite of what I think I believe, that I also have to examine um, when I examine those beliefs for validity. That I also examine whether I'm living in that belief, whether. I, uh, if I believe change is possible, am I taking the the footwork, doing the footwork, taking the steps that will bring about that change? Uh, if I believe that God is uh, uh, active in my life and wants to be active in my life, am I doing the things that uh, I need to do to allow God into my life? Am I am I praying? Am I meditating? Am I asking God into into my life and trusting God for those miracles that uh, that he promises in the steps, the the promises, the promises in nine, the promises in ten, the promises in eleven. Am I am I looking for those and praising uh, God and thanking Him for those changes when they occur? And uh, today I can live in that frame of mind, in that frame of mind of gratitude for change because I've seen the change and I know it's possible. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Craig F. Talon B., it's your turn, and Nancy H., you'll be next. Hi, this is Talon D., I'm a compulsive overeater outside Philly. And these two paragraphs really just brought to mind how powerful old ideas can be in holding us back. And I was just thinking about what it means to challenge old beliefs. And I thought about what a belief is. And the belief is simply just a thought that I have from a past experience that is real to me, that I made real. And um, I had all these beliefs coming into program just from my childhood that were just so ingrained in me, and I acquired them over the years. And these beliefs felt so real. And so since they felt real, they were true, right? <laughs> no. After a while, I realized as my life was going down the tubes 
from this disease that maybe my beliefs aren't true. They may feel real to me, but maybe they aren't true and maybe I need to start challenging them. And so I started asking myself, like, what's going to happen if I keep going on the way I'm going? What's going to happen to me if I keep believing what I believe? And how is it messing me up now? And once I started asking myself those questions, it became pretty obvious to me that if I kept going on the way I kept going on and living in old ideas and fear, I would continue to suffer. And so first what I had to do was, I think, become aware. I didn't even have to like change anything. I just had to become aware of my old beliefs because it's really easy to just go on in life believing what you believe, believing that it's true and not challenging it. So I think just by reading this chapter and by listening to the meetings is how I became aware and how I started questioning um, my beliefs that I had. And then I became willing as I was looking at my life and then I compared it to someone um, whom the problem had been solved life. And I, as I compared that, I kind of logically came to the conclusion that what I was doing wasn't working and what, what they were doing was. <laughs> and so first I became aware and then I became willing and then I took action and then I started to believe these new ideas. And that's the only way I believe that you can change is if you, if you take, if you start to become willing and if you take action and, um, also, just praying for the openness um, to be willing helps me a lot. So that's all I have to share. Thanks. Thank you, Talon D. Nancy H., it's your turn. And Dana T., you'll be next. Hi, this is Nancy H. from Somerset, New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here on the line this morning. And thank you all for your service. Um, I, I really like the comparison here, um, and even though a lot of these things like seem so ancient to me, Galileo and Kitty Hawk and all of that, um, I think I certainly did have trouble believing that God would care enough about me to help me with my food. Um, I had been sober in AA for um, over 30 years, and I think I just failed for a long time to see the relationship um, between my eating and my acting out behavior and the problems that the food and being um, overweight were causing me. So I had to develop new ideas, even with my belief in God that I had gotten when I first got sober in AA, which was incredible and tremendous. I had to be able to apply that um, to the food in my life. And I had to really do the work. I remember because I had uh, a couple of years in abstinence in OA back in 94. And um, then I just got away from it because other things became too important. So it took me a long time to get back and to be willing to really work this program in the way that it has to be worked. And to put down the food, to call my sponsor. 
I always thought, well, okay, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, I've been sober a long time and I help other people and go to meetings. But I had to treat this disease just like mm, as though I were a baby learning things for the first time all over again and become that willing to have God direct my thoughts and to be willing to listen and, and work with others and ask for help from a sponsor. So it really, it was a big change for me, um, and I've been feeling gratefully abstinent um, for a little while now, only abstinent for a couple of weeks, um, but working this program in the new way since July. So just for today, I feel really uh, on solid ground about the food, I have to say, but only because only when I work the program, only when I ask for help, not on solid ground, on my own, just solid ground through this program. So thank you all for helping me. That I pass. Thank you, Nancy H. And Dana T., you'll be next. Hi, this is Dana T. from South Carolina. And I am, can everybody hear me? Yeah, we can. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. So I was looking and thinking um, that just before the We Agnostics chapter, the very last thing that was said before the We Agnostics chapter is that his defense must come from a higher power. And so I love to write in my book beside all of these musts, or if it's imperative or if it's necessary, I write big, bold letters, must. So I must um, have a power that is greater than myself. And this power is what gives me the power and the defense against the first bite. So it's the power to help me stay abstinent. And I've heard it said that it's it's all about the food until it's not about the food. And right now I've been abstinent for um, a little over 60 days. And so for me, it's still about the food. Um, and I hope to be where it's no longer about the food one day. But all I had to do in step two is believe that a power greater than, than myself could restore me to sanity. I didn't have to believe that he would. Um, I didn't have to have evidence in my own life that he has. And sometimes I think that the We Agnostics chapter, which I balked at, I thought, oh, I've got a higher power. I don't even need to read this chapter. But sometimes I think it, it the, the chapter is more important for those of us like myself who thought I had a higher power. But Somehow, I had prayed and prayed and prayed for, for God to take away my problems, but I realized what I was asking was for God to take away my fat and so I could have my cake. Um, and, but I know that that's not the case now. I know that that's not the case now. I be, I'm, I'm praying that he will help me remain abstinent. And getting out of the food is, is difficult um, and you, you do have to kind of pull your bootstraps and, and get out of the food long enough till I can work the steps. And then uh, my higher power can help me stay out of the food. But I found it interesting, um, an example of belief and faith, and I thought they were synonymous. Um, it came to believe uh, is different from came to have faith in God. Um, all I needed was a belief. You know, um, if my parents are, are, are going to move here and they're going to ask me, you know, what doctors do I 
go to? Is, is there a good doctor? Well, they've never been to a doctor here, so they don't have faith in any doctor here. So I can tell them, well, I've been to this doctor, and he's done a really good job, and I really like him. I can oh, that's my, my timer. Um, but I can have a belief in this doctor. My parent's not going to have a belief. But when they go to the doctor and he helps them, they can, and he helps them, they can have faith. But it has to start with a belief. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Dana T. We have time for one more three-minute share. Would someone like to claim their seat? Barbara E. Barbara T. E. E. For Barbara E. Okay, Barbara, please go ahead. You'll be our last uh, speaker to share today. Great. Thank you so much for allowing me to squeeze in. This is Barbara E. from New Jersey. And what I'm hearing really, as I listen to all these awesome shares, is step two. Step two, I had to be willing to put aside all I thought I knew about God or religion. I was not a religious person. I didn't come from a religious background. If I had to identify, I'd say I was agnostic. It can't be proved. Or perhaps intellectually self-sufficient. But step two, the rallying point, humility, open-mindedness. I love the reference to the pyramids, to the Wright brothers, to Columbus. There's so many scientific um, examples of people going outside of the conventional wisdom to explore ideas. And that's what I have to do. I have to be willing to be willing. And I have to say to myself, God, help me to put on those magic Wonder Woman bracelets that help me to accept everything that's going on in the world around me as being where it needs to be. I can't do anything about anything Accept my attitude. Grateful to be here in New Jersey listening to this awesome meeting. Thank you. I pass. And thank you, Barbara E. Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you for Team Tuesday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. The share idea for today, Tuesday, June the 6th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 10013. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Lisa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Thank you, Lisa H., grateful, recovered, uh, compulsive overeater in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 
Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.